You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Yeah, hey, uh, thank y'all for joining us this morning. I, um, yeah, I, I'm grateful everybody's here. Um, you know, it's just this unique time where we're coming together uh, as a community to say, God, meet us here as we connect with you, right? It's taking that, that kind of step in James where James is mentioning, taking that step toward God. He responds in meeting you there. And, and that's really what we're doing here, right? And so I want to just thank you for being here, but also uh, just pray. I know that Callie just prayed for us. I, I sincerely, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to overstate things, but I don't think I can in a lot of ways. What we're doing here is engaging with the holy God that made all things that has formed us and and taken us from darkness to light and has now said, I I want to equip you and empower you to go out and to take that same message that I'm going to use to change the world by making people new, by healing people when they're hurting, by bringing them hope when they're hopeless. I want to add that weight as we enter in this moment, primarily because this is not a natural thing we're doing here. There's a lot of people in the world right now that aren't waking up on Sunday mornings, putting on clothes and coming to a hotel so that we could sing songs, open a Bible and say, I'm going to meet the living God. That doesn't happen. That's not a normal thing. You have to have had an encounter with the living God in order to say, my Sunday morning is not my own because my life is not my own because I've given it to him. That's an extraordinary, miraculous, beautiful, powerful thing. And so I want to add that weight to this moment, right? As we come here and we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to talk about it, we're going to do them things. I get that. I love that. But the point of it is not in routine, nor is the point of it in practice, but the point of it is in connecting with the God who has dedicated himself, not because he had to, but because he's chosen to, to redeeming and saving and loving people, you and me. What a beautiful God. And that's who we're here to connect with. I want to add that weight now because what a beautiful truth we stand in right here today. Um, and so pray with me real quick. Right, Father, thank you for the songs that we sang. Uh, thank you for the word that we've already read. Uh, Father, it, I ask that you would um, anchor our hearts from now until we, we finish this time, right? Uh, that we've come together in a unique way to worship you, to, to connect with you, right, to, to, to really give ourselves to you. And so I'm asking as our hearts prepare for, to receive from your word right now that, man, you would just like weight us down in that reality. It doesn't have to be weighty as in like we cry or we're sad or anything like that. It could be weighty in the sense that we're joyful, in the sense that we're laughing, in the sense that we're lighthearted and filled with hope. But that only comes when the anchor of our soul is dug deep into the truth of who you are, what you've done, and what you're calling us to. And so now, Father, anchor our our heart, anchor our soul deep in that. uh, And let today be a refresher of that truth. And let it, again, work in us. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you needed that, but I kind of needed that for myself, if nothing else. And so um, thank you for giving me that moment to... uh, for catharsis. And, uh, and yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to jump into our time of the word. Um, I'm going to be very honest with you today. Uh, this week has been perhaps one of the busiest weeks of maybe my entire life. 
if you if I haven't told you, if you haven't heard me mention this at some point, because of a, a combination of circumstances between the program that I'm in at Dallas Seminary, the scholarship that I got to Dallas Seminary, and then my own personal timeline for wanting to finish, I basically had to take like a a full-time class workload this semester. So consequently, there are weeks and times through the course of like through the course of May where it's just like, dang. That was the wildest week ever. And so that's like one of those days. Today I woke up and I was like, dude, once that, once we like leave that park today, I'm gonna breathe this sense of like that was the wildest five days of all time, right? Like 6 a.m. to like 9 30, 10 o'clock p.m. Consequently, I say all that to say, I'm gonna stick real close to these notes today. If you see me look up too often, you need to be like, Right, you need, or else, or else, and I'm letting you know, or else, we ain't gonna go to the park because we're gonna be here till about two, three o'clock. You ain't gonna watch Austin FC because we're gonna Austin FC right through that game and talking about Jesus. So I need you to, if I start moving this way, moving that way, right? If I even get out from basically this little block of space that this aisle is causing you to look at me and be like, get to the nose, big man. Get to the nose, big man. All right, I need that this morning. So even right now, you should have been telling me, like, you're talking, thank you, thank you. That's what I needed, right? I'm trying to test you. I'm trying to test you, right? And so, yeah, I'm, let's go ahead and dive in. But I wanted to go ahead and tell you that if, in case you're wondering, like, yo, you're looking down a lot. It's for your sake today that I'm looking down a lot, okay? And so today we're going to be continuing and finishing uh, our series called uh, Transformed. Right, where we're coming together and approaching God's word and, and we're asking him to, to help us build a vision for the local church. That's the point of this series. It's a, it is, or at least it should be, you've heard me say this past couple of weeks, every local church's vision to reach people and to see their lives transformed. Right, to see people come to know Jesus, uh, to have him uh, connect with them and then connect with him and therefore be changed radically to where like, yeah, their lives aren't their, their own anymore. Right, their Sunday mornings are like, yo, I want to go connect with God's people. And I understand that we all, you know, have moments where we got other things going on. Like, I get that. But like pattern in terms of a pattern, in terms of consistency to say my, the consistent pattern of my life is to give myself to this Jesus because I'm his now. Right. That is um, God's kingdom. Right. In human hearts at work when we're saying I'm yours. Right? I, I can't really escape you anymore. It's almost like the apostles said when they all wanted to abandon Jesus and, and Jesus, when everyone was abandoning Jesus, and, and he looked at the apostles like, y'all want to roll out too? And the apostles were like, where else could we go? Oh, you have the words of life, right? That feeling, right? And, and it only makes sense because the life of the local church is directly tied to God's kingdom, expanding God's kingdom, that, that when, you, when you see the, the local church, you have a vision for the local church. Why? Uh, because having a vision for the local church is, in essence, the same as having a vision for the kingdom of God, just where you are, right? The, the capital C church is, is an earthly representation. That means like the church everywhere is a representation of God's kingdom on earth right now. And therefore, the local church that we serve at, whether it's Refuge or whether it's Terry Road Baptist Church down the street or whether it's, there's a Catholic church, right, like, like right around the corner, they, they oftentimes we would, we would include them within a family of, of people that follow Jesus, although we have doctrinal you know, distinctions from them. But, but we would look at that and say, hey, those local churches, we want to build visions for the local church primarily because that is, in essence, building a vision for God's kingdom where we serve, where we live, right? We want to build a vision for Refuge Community Church because that means that we're building a vision for God's kingdom in Southeast Austin. God's kingdom at work through Refuge Community Church. 
And for us, a large part of that vision involves three words, right? Those three words back there, the the big, bold letters, connect, grow, serve. And that is connecting with God, growing with family, uh, serving the city. You guys know that already, right? And so uh, these are the ideas that we want to build out through the course of of the sermon series. and, And we're finishing up with the idea of serve the city. And so last week we covered growing with family. And what we really considered was how God works in the context of people following him together, right? That's the big idea that we wanted to walk away with, um, how God works in the context of people following him together. And we took a look at Acts chapter four, and we considered how God reminds us in the context of community who he is uh, and what he's done and who he's making us. And this week, we're going to be tackling, uh, again, the last of those three rhythms, serving the city. And this is a bit tricky because that wording communicates an idea uh, that may be a little bit limited to what it actually means, right? And in in scripture, we have this idea of caring for the city that's around us. In Jeremiah specifically, God instructs his people uh, to seek the fullness or the peace, the shalom of the city that they live in. We've covered that probably more than once in this setting. And so if you want to know more about that, there's a sermon somewhere in that SoundCloud that you can, you can tap into. Uh, but, but that's true. We, we want to take care of the city that's around us. But likewise, it also means seeking the best for creation at large, right? Creation at large. Just what do I mean by creation? I mean everything you see around you, right? I mean the world in general. Uh, it, that desire of wanting to serve and care for creation at large is what drives you to mourn something like what's going on in Ukraine, right? It, it's, what, it's what drives you to have a vision for, for international missions in another part of the world, right? It's a part of the reason why uh, one of the missional desires that we have is the missional desire to see uh, missionaries sent to Latin America, right? I've been to Mexico probably like three or four times in my whole life, right? But, but the idea that there's hurting people south of where we live for literally thousands of miles that don't know Jesus can burden you, and you can have a longing desire to see them t- reached and, and transformed with the gospel. Why? Because we've been endowed by Jesus to have a desire to care for creation. And so it's twofold in that way. Right, it's serving the city that's around us, but it's also serving creation at large, right? And this really plays into how we define the idea of serving the city. Check this out. This is how we would define this. Human beings were never made to just think about themselves. Rather, God has always desired for us to be people who love, serve, and care for one another, spiritually and materially. We do this by serving those around us, both locally and globally, right? So, So that's our vision for what serving the city looks like. To help us build out this definition that we want to kind of tease out this morning, we're going to be looking at James uh, chapter 2. Actually, we're going to be kind of looking at a couple sections there. We just read that specific section. Thank you, Callie, um, for reading that specific section. But we're going to tackle a couple different parts there. Uh, And really, the main point that I want you to think about is this, that you give yourself to what you trust. You give yourself to what you trust. That's going to be the main point of what we're going to get to here. And I think that's the main point of what James is trying to get to here. And so to help us tackle this text better, right? It's not, uh, this isn't exactly how James is trying to teach it, but this is how we want to try to use these two points to try and help us understand. We're going to tackle two questions, um, which is the question of what is faith? What is faith? And then we're going to tackle the question of what are good works, right? What are good works? Uh, James and over here in 417 is saying some, some crazy stuff for us that are like, 
Protestants for us specifically that have like, maybe you've grown up in, and you don't have to know this language, maybe you've grown up in more like reformed type of space or that's where you've been for a minute. And then all of a sudden James starts saying some wild stuff and you're like, bro, what? In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer was like, dude, James is whole. He didn't want James in the Bible. So James is saying some stuff and we want to kind of get down to the bottom of like, what are the good works that James is talking about here, right? What does that look like? Let's go ahead and get started for the sake of time um, because like I said, want to focus here so we can... Uh, so we can get to, to hanging out a little later today. But uh, as we jump in here and we tackle the first question of what is faith, we first want to understand the context of this text a little bit. Again, uh, it's coming out of the book of James, and many believe uh, that James was written by James, the brother of Jesus. That's one of Jesus' younger brothers uh, who came to believe in Jesus as Messiah and ultimately confess that Jesus is God after he saw Jesus resurrected, right? After his mom was basically like, Jesus is dead, and then like three days later, it was like, never mind, uh, right? So I've always, find that, I've always found that to be like maybe one of the best apologetics to Jesus, you know, um, divinity, that he's actually God. Because I've seen sibling rivalries, right? I've seen some sibling rivalries. I don't have any siblings myself, but man, I've seen them. They're competitive, right? Like people don't want to say the other person is better at call of duty, much less that the other person is God, right? So uh, it really it seems really hard that, that that would be something that James would confess unless it was like actually true, right? Unless it was like Jesus is actually God. He resurrected. He's here. And I digress. But um, he was mostly, James, that is writing uh, this letter from Jerusalem to Jewish Christians. And, and here's why that's important. He was writing to, to Jewish Christians, um, and that meaning that they were Christians that were converted from Judaism to Christianity, right? Uh, oftentimes, especially in the letter books of the New Testament, right? They're called the epistles, what we often see Paul writing. Um, they're letters, letters, letters uh, written to often non-Jewish Christians, meaning Gentile Christians, people that are converting to Christianity from what we would call like paganism, right? So a diverse set of beliefs with different gods and, and different belief systems and different temples across that part of the world that people are worshiping. And then they're coming out of that space and finding themselves confessing, worshiping, and following Jesus. And this would have felt like, like a massive transition for them. It would have felt like a massive transition for them. It would have felt similar to how we would feel if we went from Christianity to something like Hinduism, right? That's maybe a good kind of parallel to our modern day. It would have, it would have felt a weighty and it would have almost changed every part of our lives, the way we worship, who we worship, the style we worship, right? The way we see the world and, and what divine being is, is interacting with the creation around us. It would have changed everything. Literally, the way they saw every part of the world. Hear me, that's not this audience. That's not that audience. This audience that James is, is writing to uh, could see themselves potentially as better than those types of Christians. Better than the type of Christians that came from a pagan set of beliefs. Because these Christians, the, the Jewish Christians, they had actually had the right answers for a long time. Right? They grew up with the God that Jesus actually now claims to be. They grew up with that God. It, it's a little different now because they're worshiping Jesus and they're worshiping God the Father. Uh, and we, we know that in time they're going to see the Holy Spirit as, as divine. They're going to say, we worship these three persons, but, but they're one God. And it's a little different, but, but they knew that this is a continuation of the story that we've been participating in already. We know this God. 
right? He's, he, Jesus, is in fact our promised Messiah. He's, he is from the one God of Israel. And this is important here, fam, because uh, James, he wants to see the church as acting to serve those around him, serve those around them, to take care of creation, to take care of the city that they're in, especially the poor and especially f- uh, fellow Christians. But that's not happening right now. That's not happening in this text. That's not happening in these churches. And James believes he knows why. He believes that it's a direct correlation to the fact that they've misunderstood the faith, that the Jewish Christians, who assume they have most everything right already, that, that they've already come from the God that Jesus claims to be, actually have missed the mark on the faith a bit. And that's why this context is important to answering the question, well, what is the faith? Because James, again, sees it as fundamental to what drives action, to what drives serving. And he notices how their attitude is toward the faith and how that may be negatively contributing to uh, their idea of faith and therefore their their idea of action. Uh, And here's the thing. James' point here is actually not in this text, I want to define faith for you. But rather, he's going to take a second to try and define what faith is not. Right? Check out verses 18 and 19. He says, But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Uh, In short, what James is saying here is that faith isn't um, right answers. That faith isn't right answers. This is where knowing the context is important because at the end of verse 19, what we just read, he says, you say you confess that God is one. Good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because most of them would have known that that was the cornerstone uh, to the most important prayer in the Jewish faith, the Shema. It's a declaration of, of who God is, that God is one, and then therefore dedicating ourselves to God. It's found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. And here's the thing. I would love for us to read this together. And there's a reason why we're reading it together. We'll get to it in a second. But I, but I want us to read it together. It's going to be on the screen right here. And I want us to read it all together. Ready? One, two, three. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Next slide. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What we just did there, right, reading it all together like that, um, that literally would have been what they'd been doing every day for their entire lives. They would have done what we just did every day for their entire lives. They would have read that over and over and over again. They would have read it enthusiastically one day as they came to learn what it actually meant, and they would have read it unenthusiastically another day when it became familiar to them. One day they would probably be hurting, and then they would feel a jolt of hope recognizing who God is, and they would read it again with a renewed hope. And then a few weeks later they would probably be having an even-keeled day and read it with a genuine sense of response of saying like, oh yeah, yeah, God is one, and I'm, I, I got to give myself to him today. You see, they, they would have been really comfortable with this idea because they would have been saying it over and over again. It would have been a regular, routine, everyday part of their lives. And in a world where nearly every other culture in their context paraded around a pantheon of gods, Right, Different gods for different things. One got the sun, one got the sea, one got everything. This would have been a religious, cultural, and ethnic marker. It it would have been their way to say, yo, what you believe is not what I believe. Who you are is not who I am. Your culture is not my culture. Your ethnicity is not my ethnicity. 
I'm Hebrew ethnically. I'm Jewish religiously, and, and my God is one. That, that's really how they would have felt. And, and now here comes James, just like blowing up the whole spot. James is like, you confessed that God is one. Good. Even the demons do that. It's like, dang. Right? Like, he comes at it pretty hard. And the reason for that is because James understands that if our faith is, is merely built on correct answers, he would go so far to say that faith is useless. If it's a faith built on correct answers, that faith is useless. Because that kind of faith doesn't provoke change. That kind of faith does not heal hearts. That kind of faith does not make you whole. That kind of faith does not bring you hope. That kind of faith doesn't comfort you in the midst of suffering. And that kind of faith definitely doesn't motivate us to go outside of ourselves and to serve others. I repeat, James would have looked at us and said that faith is useless. So faith isn't believing or knowing the right things. And what is it? Right? What is faith? Well, here's the thing. We have to take a little detour from James in order to get, I think, a full answer here. And we're going to go to Romans 4. We're going to read 18 through 25. If you have your Bible, because you're holy, uh, you can turn there. Or if you just want to read it on the screen with me, feel free to do that too. Okay, check it out. Romans 4, 18 through 25. Let's read it. You don't have to read it together this time, but but read along with me if, if you want to. He believed, hoping against hope, he being Abraham hoping against hope so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old, and also the deadness of Sarah, his wife's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that God that what God had promised, he was also able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. A lot going on there. We're going to kind of do like a little summary exposition of that to try to grab the point. In, in the text, in, in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul recounts the story of Abraham. A lot of y'all probably picked that up. Who in his old age was promised by God a son uh, with his equally old wife, Sarah. Right? And, and when I say old, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Neither is the scriptures. They're literally like Abraham's almost dead. And his wife is equally almost dead. Right? And so God's promise for a biological child in their relationship seemed far-fetched to say the least. And in light of that, what seems like impossible circumstances, Abraham trusts God. This text, Romans 4, says he literally hopes against hope. In that way, if it's like you're hoping almost for something that seems completely ridiculous, Abraham trusts God. He hopes against hope in God. And this is the important part. Believing God will do what he said he was going to do. Believing that God was able to do what he said he was going to do. And Paul says that faith, that trust was credited to him as righteousness. That dependence, knowing my body can't do this. My wife's body can't do this. But God said he's going to do it. So I'm going to depend on him, trust him, and expect it to happen. And it says that right there was the faith that was credited to him as righteousness. He then goes on to say, 
That faith credit wasn't just for Abraham, but for each of us. It was and is for each of us when we see the depths of our sin and we understand that we have lost every pathway to God, right? That we are empty, that we are hurting, that we are broken, that we're guilty and we're needy and often find ourselves ashamed and often believe lies and often have told lies and have been hurt by other people and responded poorly and maybe in response told some lies. And when we look at the perfect, beautiful, caring love of God, we think to ourselves, there's no way you could want, love, accept, call, adopt me. You don't know all the things that we've done. And we see from our perspective in the natural course of how we would respond to that situation, there's no way that you should care for me. There's no reasonable way, knowing what I know about me, knowing what I know about you, that when I put sin up against your holiness, that somehow they reconcile together. It doesn't make any sense. But when we think that there's no way for us and we look at him and say, but I trust that even when there is no way, you, based on who you are and your promise, will make a way. Enter Jesus. That through Jesus, entering into the brokenness of the world, living exactly how we wished we'd lived, taking the cross for our guilt and punishment and bearing the shame, embarrassment, and hurt that the world throws at us, right, and through Jesus, uh, dying on the cross, God has made a way and in his resurrection has said, now you have life and now I accept you through the person of Jesus. Not only do I want you, but you're mine. You're my son. You're my daughter forever and ever. Come to Jesus, trust, rely, and depend on him and it will be counted to you as a righteousness. That's your credit. What amazingly good news we have about faith. Now, now, having taken that detour, let's go back to James real quick. He knows uh, that faith based on correct answers is useless because that faith, that trust, isn't put in the actual loving, caring, healing, redeeming hands of God, but in mere answers and facts about him. That's the difference in the actual faith and the useless faith. Is that one trusts the living God and one trusts some stories we've heard about him. One trusts that he loves me because of who he is. And the other one can answer a question about who he loves me based on some facts I know about him. That's the difference. It makes me think a little bit about this quote by C.S. Lewis that you've all probably heard. Um, but he says in The Way to Glory, one of his classic books, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition or correct test answers, when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. That's what, it, that's what James is seeing when he sees a bunch of people saying, I know the right answers, instead of saying, I know the living God. Friend, let me ask you a question. What do you trust in? What do you trust in? Are you trusting in your answers or are you trusting in God? When you question whether you're accepted, whether you're loved, whether you're cared for, whether you're affirmed, are you trusting in your test scores or are you trusting in the generous, gracious, loving heart of our God? 
who on his own has decided to love and care for us and has declared his love for you and that he'll make a way even when you can't. Which one are you trusting? Are you trusting you or are you trusting him? I mentioned school a little bit earlier. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I, it's a, it was a hard week this week. I literally was probably going from like 6 in the morning down to like probably 9.30 to 10 p.m. for like almost five straight days. Uh, and so I was really tired. But I really do enjoy seminary work as well. Like it's something that I've given myself to a lot already outside of school, and I really do enjoy it. Um, consequently, uh, it turns out that I'm pretty good in that classroom context, right? Uh, I'll say undergrad classroom context, way less good. Um, but in, in this classroom context, pretty good. And uh, by the grace of God, let me put it shortly like this, by the grace of God, your boy is stacking up A's at Dallas Seminary like they're hotcakes, all right? So no, 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 I didn't need all that. But that's just the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, as I see that, something happens, though. I- I'm having fun, and I'm writing these papers, and it's going good, and X, Y, and Z, my man, Gus. Now, I'll take that hand clap, brother. All right. All that's happening, and I'll be honest, it's crazy, because yesterday I can sit in a class and hear about the Holy Trinity and consider deeply the idea of who God is in these three persons, his genuine love for himself that's shared in the three persons of the Trinity, and how that genuine love is what we experience when we interact with him, because that is truly who he is. And I'm seeing that, and I'm writing down notes, and I'm thinking to myself, is that going to be on the test? And, and instead of in that moment thinking to myself, that God is who loves me. I start thinking to myself, that answer is going to get me an A. And all of a sudden, for some reason, my mind and my heart look toward the grade sheet for my affirmation and not not to the God that I'm literally answering questions about. That happens to all of us. It doesn't require a seminary class for that to happen. It requires a broken human being which is what all of us are, to find a space where we say, God, I think this is right about you, and I can answer the question of faith correctly, and I think that makes me and you good. Instead of saying, God, I want to know the depths of your love for me, so that when I stare at the hungry eyes of suffering, I don't respond by saying, I think he'll comfort me because the Bible says so. But I know he'll comfort me because the depths of his love for me that I know without a shadow of a doubt, right? That's the difference that James wants to point out. And it's this question, what is faith, right? Is is it right answers? Is it correct structures of what we know about God? To be 100% honest with you, that isn't even, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sidetracked now, so if I go too long here, I need you to give me one of these. But that didn't even work out in the beginning of the church. The church didn't even affirm the idea, and I literally, we just talked about this this weekend in the class, they didn't even affirm the idea of the Trinity for 300 years, 400 years. They experienced the Trinity, and the God they loved was the God, the triune God that is the Trinity. But they couldn't even put words to that idea for 400 years. But the depths of their knowledge was saying, I don't have the right answer there, but that's the God I love. Right. And Jesus, I don't think anybody would look back at the church fathers in the first 400 years of the church and be like, you got it wrong. No, some of the most blessed words about God have come from those men 
who suffered in the early church saying, I'll take the sword for the God that I love, even though I don't have words to define him all the time. What beautiful, beautiful examples of what James would say, that's real faith. That's what faith looks like. Okay, so now, having established and answered this question, what is faith? I think this gives way to answering the second question, what are good works? Right, because this really gives way to answering the next part. And so if you look at with me, uh, look with me at verse 14 through 17 again, and, and let's check this out. Um, it's what we read at the beginning here. Uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. If for James, faith in Jesus directly leads to good works, then what are good works? They are works that display and practice a deep trust in who Jesus is and his ability to say and do and accomplish the things that he said he will do and accomplish. That's what good works are. It's, it's the primary reason when someone, and I use this example, but please don't, you know, please don't pounce on me. When there's two people that help an old lady across the street, that like walker, proper old lady, right? Like the light for the walk, crosswalk turns on, and you know, there's not a chance that lady's getting across that before that light goes off, right? That's the one I'm talking about here. Two people walk that person across the street. One person does it thinking, Man, that's going to win me points in the big scheme of things. And one person understands the depths that there was a chasm they could not cross, but Jesus crossed it for them. And they say, man, I, I live in the depths of grace. And so, lady, take my hand. I'm going to get you across this street. That's why those two things can be holy versus not holy. Right? And so what are good works? They're, they're works that practice trust in Jesus that he can do what he said he will do. Um, it's hard to give when we don't feel like we'll receive back after we've given. It's hard to be generous when we think we'll never have enough, right? It's hard to be gracious when we look outside of the world that doesn't seem confident or, or regularly offers forgiveness, right? But friends, hear me. When we're bound to what this world or life offers, we'll never be free to give more than what we can get from this world. That's the point. When we're bound to what this world or life offers, we'll never be free to give more than what we can get from this world or this life. And hear me, this, this means easily that our service is stifled, right? But, but when we trust that God will provide, or even better, right, if we believe we're loved without the newest gadget and without the nicest house and without the best car, nicest clothes, um, without uh, X, Y, and Z in terms of accomplishments, X, Y, and Z in terms of affirmation, with, again, uh, living our life in the context of, of, of the, this world and what this world offers us, um, we're free to actually give what we've been given, right? We're, we're free to actually offer what Christ offers us. Uh, when we believe God can use the work of our hands to provide the deepest desires of our hearts because he's going to work through that, 
All of a sudden, Netflix becomes far less enticing and serving someone else becomes far more enticing. Right? When, when we believe that we can find actual rest for our souls in Jesus, uh, when he says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We'll know that rest is something he can provide fully to my heart and we'll push ourselves just a little bit more to give just a little bit more for the sake of him and his kingdom, knowing the rest that I desire, he will provide. Right, friend, when, when we trust, what we trust in most is what we will give ourselves to. That's the reality of our lives. What we trust most is what we'll give ourselves to. And I don't mean in, in community service specifically. I don't, I, I'm using it as an example here, but, but I mean trusting God frees us to use the resources of our life, our time, our talents, our treasures. A lot of y'all, that's language that you know, uh, the way he designed us to, right? right? Giving those birthed out of a feeling of hope and comfort and expectation and joy, right? That. That's what we're actually called to do. That's how we're actually called to live. But it only happens when, when our faith begins to anchor our actions, friends. Right? That, that type of exercise of what I'm talking about right now, the exercise of sacrifice, because that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea of us sacrificing in some way, shape, form, or fashion in our lives somewhere. That's hard. That's hard. It's hard. I'm looking at y'all. Y'all looking at me like, but I'm letting you know it's hard. (laughs) I don't like doing it. I'm assuming most of y'all don't like doing it. And let me be honest. I don't like doing it because I feel like what I give out of it, I won't get back. You don't like it. Most of the time, because you feel like what you give in it, you won't get back from it. And so even when something like sharing the faith is not in, and I'm not taking shots at us here, I'm, I'm letting you know in my heart, this is something that happens, right? When the sharing the faith isn't an organized project with other people, but is an aisle in HEB, and the threat of the awkwardness that I'm going to experience with that person is not counterbalanced with the affirmation I'm going to experience from the community that's around me, I won't do it. Because if I'm alone and the H-E-B aisle is just me and some person is going to tell me to get out of their face, I'm not sure if what I'm going to get out of it is what I'm going to give to it. And in that moment is when my heart and your heart have to be so deeply anchored in faith that what Jesus has said he'll do, what he has said he'll provide, the way he said he will care for you, the way he says he will comfort you, the way he says he loves you, the way he says he'll affirm you, has to be the thing that says, go do it, because what I'm going to give you will be far more than what you could possibly ever get from anything else in this situation. Right, that anchor in faith is what we're talking about here. That's the anchor I think James would look at and say, that's what you're looking for. Anchor your heart in the truth of this Jesus. Anchor your heart in the truth of this God, right? Anchor your heart in the reality of his care, his love, his affection. That empowers and frees you to say, you don't have food, let me feed you. You don't have clothes, let me clothe you. I don't have that many clothes, it's okay. He's gonna provide, right? I only have my nicest shirt on. That's okay. He loves you without the nicest shirt. Right? That type of freedom only comes when our hearts get anchored deep down in the truth of who Jesus is. 
I think that's what James is after for us here. That's what James wants for us here, right? For our heart to be anchored to the point that other people look at us and go, man, I know I can count on that person, right? Why? Because it it seems like they're always willing. Why? For us, we know because we understand the depths of who Jesus is and his care for us, right? Like, Like, man, that's why I'm available to you. That's why I'm consistent. That's why I'm vulnerable. That's why I'm generous. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. It has a lot to do with him and me understanding and knowing him just a little bit more. As we close today, what I want to do is I want to transition to thinking about some practical spaces we can uh, practice this, this sort of, of trust, right? Again, if good works are works that practice trust and dependence on Jesus, right? Trust that Jesus will do what he says he will do, provide what he says he's going to provide, then I want to give us some practical spaces we can actually do this. One, um, prayer and care. I think prayer and care is a great one. And, and I know earlier I said, like, hey, there's, like, this, this weight there where, like, we are doing it with a group of people. And hear me, that's not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when that group of people is like, I will only do this with you, right? Then it's like, ah, you know, you should share your faith other times. But... Um, here's the thing. I think it's a great place to put into practice this idea that the good news that I believe for my own heart is truth that I believe so deeply that I'd share it with you. I think that is an extremely powerful act of faith and of dependence and, and deep trust in Jesus. Um, I, I, I can oftentimes find myself advocating for things that bring me life. Um, most of you know that you do not watch soccer. Before you came to this church or met me, you might not have known who Arsenal FC was. But I seem to talk about it a lot. Because when I see the 3-2 scoreline this morning, I'm like, yeah. Right? And when they scored early this morning, I screamed in the bathroom. I talk about that a lot because something about that seems to bring me life. And I enjoy it. I want to talk about Jesus because I believe he brings me life. I want to share Jesus like that because I can understand Man, the way I talk to you about this thing is because I'm so deeply believing it that I believe it'll work for you too, right? So prayer and care, practicing our faith by sharing our faith, practicing dependence on Jesus by sharing our faith. Uh, the other one is serving here at church, right? Like I think that's a, a, a pretty standard one. And so if you're not regularly scheduled on a team, feel free to hit one of us up, put it on a connection card, either the physical connection card or the digital connection card. And, uh, and hit us up. We'd love to put you in a team, get you regularly scheduled to serve on a team. We, um, again, this is the idea of putting faith in action, right? That idea of, like, how do I practice this dependency? It's a great way to do that. Uh, the third one is serve the community, right? You don't have to do it with refuge, or you can do it just by yourself. I want to take a second here to applaud a group of people that have been absolutely killing this uh, here at the church. And it's uh, a team that I know the core people of it are all, like, literally in a row right there, so that helps out a lot, um, is Misty, Jerry, and Anisha, who've been, like, going to New Braunfels consistently to help in this house and care for um, a situation that has come up. And so all of a sudden, they're consistently doing that. In fact, they've invited us and been like, and there's been several instances where a lot of y'all have like paired up and been like, hey, get me a hazmat suit, right? Like, yeah, that's an uncommon thing to ask for, right? It's like, hey, we're going to go do a church. We're going to do something with other people at church. What are y'all going to do? We're going to put on hazmat suits and we're going to go, that's amazing, right? And so I I would almost go so far to say, I think we should applaud that, like literally, physically applaud that. And 
that uh, the golf clap that just happened is okay. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The golf clap that just happened is okay. But I also want to make mention of the fact that that displays, again, a character and a trust that we can look at and say, that's the same God I trust. That's the same God I rely on, that I depend on. The one that satisfies the heart of Misty, Jerry, and Nisha is the same one that promises to satisfy the heart in me, right? When I do the same things. That, that's why we applaud. And so it's not saying, like, oh, man, that's an admirable faith. It's saying the, the person in which you have faith is worthy of applause. So that's the same person that will care for me. So serving the community, when we schedule something as a church body, get involved in that, or just on your own time, right? Um, whichever you want. And so finally... I want to give you uh, just one more way uh, to, that I think we could do this. Um, and it's to encourage you to give today, but not to us. Okay, the moment I said give, some of y'all were like, ugh. And then when I said not to us, you were like, oh, okay. So uh, I want to encourage you to give, but not to us uh, today. Although if, although if you remember the church, I hope you do give to us at some level. But anyway, point being, um, we know, obviously, most of us know what's happening in Ukraine right now. Um, and there are believers there that are working to care for others in ways that we really can't understand. That, that the majority of us in this room truly cannot fathom how the churches in that country are looking at people in need and willing to sacrifice safety to go help others, understanding the way Christ has laid down his life enables me to lay down mine knowing that the way he picked it up is the way he's going to pick up mine if I lose it, right? What a testimony of trusting Jesus. They're, they're caring for people in ways that um, hard to understand. And so I want to help there, and, and, and I would love us to help there. I want to encourage you to, to help there. And so uh, we've been blessed to know some friends uh, that are connected. They're not members. They're not over there, but they're a part of a network of churches uh, in which that network has a couple of churches that are in the Ukraine. I don't know why I said the Ukraine, Ukraine. Uh, but, but this afternoon, um, I was unsure about like putting it up on the screen just because I don't know like the politics behind everything with that, right? But uh, this afternoon, I'm going to personally send an email to uh, everyone here uh, just with a link to give to them Again, it goes straight to them. So it's not giving to us and we give to them. It's you have that link and you can choose to give to them if that's what you choose to do. Uh, and so I want to, want to send that to you and I would love for you to consider giving to them. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be like a very clear end game there right now. Uh, and, and so with that, uh, the labor to care for others and to provide and, and to serve in that context continues. Uh, and, and so would love for you to consider uh, giving there. Again, putting our faith into action, this time maybe not by putting our hands to an actual plow to serve in Ukraine, but, man, to, to kind of be generous with them and say we would love to help in this in any way that we can. And so I love y'all. My um, prayer is that our faith uh, would be put in action and that really, like, our, our city would be changed, right, that we would be able to live out what we have on some of these signs when we're saying we want to see our city shaped uh, and, and changed with, by the, the transformed by the love of Jesus. And that that would happen and take place through the context of our hands, uh, right? Not because of us, but because of our heart anchored so deeply in who Jesus is and the depths of his love and character. And so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Uh, thank you, God, for the, the generosity of, of this community to give me space here uh, as we're talking and we're exploring the word together. Um, and really coming in here and, and really evaluating, God, what do you want me to put my trust in? 
because uh, what, I, what I trust is what I'm going to give myself to. And so, Father, I pray that all of us would more deeply trust you, that we would deeply trust you and therefore give ourselves to you, uh, that if it means generous financially, then we would be generous financially. If it means sacrificially with our time, that we would be sacrificial with our time. If it means uh, laying down our life in some way for the care and sake of others, that we would lay, lay down our life in some way for the care and sake of others. Again, not because you demand it like a harsh king, but rather because you demand and, and call us to only what you've offered, to follow in your footsteps, to take up the cross that you've taken up, in laying down your life for the sake of another. And so we love you, we thank you, and we pray that our lives could be marked by that, not out of conformity, but out of the depths of faith and belief in who you are and what you promised to do in our lives. Love you, thank you, pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.